Private Legal Marketing Conversations. Grace, welcome back. How are you today? Good. How are you, Liel? Very good. Long time no see. I know. These every two weeks is uh, very interesting. Yeah. Like you said last time. Yeah. You know, I feel like we don't get to go over everything every week anymore. I can, I can so. get used to it. I. And you know what's the most <laughs> remarkable thing of this whole experience? Is that both you and I are actually connecting with a few minutes of anticipation to the to the green room, right? To start the podcast recording where before uh, it was not rare that one of us would be a few minutes late every time, right? So uh, yes. just just comes to show how much things have uh, changed now that the frequency has gone down a little bit. But um, I am very excited, Grace, because there's a lot of things that have happened since we last had a chance uh, or an opportunity to have a conversation. And I want to hear your thoughts and your opinions and at the same time get some updates on things that are particularly mustard related. So what do you say if we jump right into it? Yeah, let's get started. Yeah, so why don't we start here with talking a little bit about the results calls from some of the big tech companies uh, for Q4, sorry, for Q3 and forecast for Q4. So I think, Grace, what at this point, you know, we already know is that um, out of the four big tech companies, that would be Amazon, Apple, Meta, and Alphabet, uh, Alphabet being Google, um, they're all doing poorly except for Apple, right? Apple really had a a strong uh, results call and that's good. Now, um, what does this mean for us, right, when we're looking at this type of information? Well, it gives us an idea of how the overall market is responding. In in our case, Alphabet and Meta is going to be extremely important and valuable for us because these are platforms where law firms are going to be very likely to be marketing in. And what we can gather out of this is that as the whole uh, idea of um, recession settles in, and kind of like the, the, the cloud of our recession casts itself over the markets, we are seeing that a lot of uh, retail brands are removing themselves from these advertising platforms, opening up the way for other advertisers to just come and buy cheap. Because in reality, this is, this is what's happening. And what's really interesting here, like just going into the results of Alphabet, looking at YouTube, that it has... Um, less revenues than the previous year, same quarter. So uh, these are kind of like new things for for these platforms, for these companies that have not experienced a drop in uh, recent history. So I think it's quite meaningful and it's, uh, as we know, an opportunity. It really is. And I think, you know, we're going to talk a little bit more about YouTube in just one moment. But um, it's a, a great uh, opportunity, particularly with things like the World Cup and such, just right around the corner. A uh, reminder of where people are going to be interacting, get, gaining information about these type of events and such over the next month or so. Well, a lot of that's going to be happening through these platforms, particularly YouTube. So I, I think it is good and a good opportunity for everyone to to reevaluate. I understand that for some, not for all law firms, I think at this point there's a lot of very 
uh, confident firms that know how to go about potential recessions and such, and they feel very strong about their position in their market and their uh, marketing investments and such, that they may not necessarily uh, feel the need of uh, scaling back, maybe even the opposite, maybe pushing even stronger. I mean, I think all of us know that when things are happening in the world as a whole, tech can and will be affected a lot of times. So, you know, to your point, yes, I 100% agree with you that, you know, these types of um, trends tell us a lot more than just the information that we're seeing when it's written down, right? It's not just the fact that they're down. Why are they down? You know, it's it's a couple of factors and it can't just be attributed to one thing, which, you know, most of us would like to attribute it to one thing, whether it's the recession or this or that. But I mean, seeing from even this, Apple did well. And so I think it's important for people to understand if Apple did well, the why, right? And to us, and I think part of what we always discuss here on this call, on this podcast is the whys behind things and the information that we can take from what's publicly available to everybody, um, but to look a little deeper, right? And yeah. how is it going to help you moving forward as a law firm and you know, seeing what's happening here, should you go into Apple? Is there, you know, are there other things that can be taken from this conversation? And it's always a yes, in my opinion. Yeah. But. Well, I mean, good point that you bring there, like why Apple is doing well and these other companies are, are not. Well, I mean, in part, because uh, particularly Meta and Alphabet, they are ad-supported uh, platforms that rely on ad revenues. And Apple is obviously uh, selling primarily hardware and hardware sales are doing well, and ad sales are going bad, but very bad, right? So um, that's why there is an opportunity in here, right? Because if these companies are uh, lacking the ad revenue that they were getting before, well, this may be an opportunity for you to, to go in and buy impressions and buy uh, exposure at a relatively lower cost. Now, uh, let me just... Some people may be thinking, well, does this mean that maybe pay-per-click is going to get cheaper? Does this mean that maybe local service ads are going to get more visibility? No, unlikely, right? These are these are, these are are areas where there's still a lot of competition and it's still going to be very competitive. Uh, local service ads, well, it's just difficult. It's challenging. There's not a lot of things that you can actually do to increase the odds of you getting visibility there, even though the cost per acquisition is um, low. Um, and when you're looking at search in the in the in pay-per-click in the search network, then obviously you know it it may be down in some industries, but in the legal industry, it's still a very 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 uh, fierce and aggressive market, at least from what we've seen most recently. Now, if things were to change, if the country were to enter a recession, and we were to see some uh, players completely withdraw their budgets from the platforms, then we may potentially start seeing some opportunities in there. But as of now, no, it has not yet uh, created that type of opportunity. But in platforms like uh, Facebook and in platforms like YouTube or Instagram, where you're really just buying impressions on the on on someone's timeline. Um, there is a lot of room of opportunity there. I mean, CPMs are very low right now in YouTube. So it's a great, great opportunity. And as I said, I, we can only anticipate that the traffic um, and, the, and, 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 and there's going to be uh, a lot of attention in these platforms um, in, in, you know, with events like the World Cup and such. Just think about like the time difference that there is between the United States and Qatar and like 
how few people are going to actually be watching the events live, right? Because of the uh, uh, ridiculous times in which games are going to be like super, super early in the morning. Uh, and so a lot of people are just going to go into YouTube, watch content there, the, the summaries of the games and whatnot, right? Um, I wouldn't be surprised also if there are some unofficial live streams with the content and whatnot, right? Because obviously, um, in order to watch the, the games, you need to have a Peacock membership and that costs money. All right, Grace. So that's some news with regards to... Um, earning calls from some of our big tech companies. Now, um, I want to share here some relatively new uh, news that are particularly to YouTube, as we were just talking about. And I love YouTube as a platform to do brand awareness. I really think it's great. I think that one thing that we all need to understand about YouTube is that it's extremely unlikely that anyone who's watching a law firm, and I don't really think that it matters the practice area, any law firm ad on YouTube is going to just stop what they're doing right there and go into a landing page and send us a form submission or initiate a phone call, right? That is very, very unlikely because that's not what they're doing. But I think it's a great strategy to stay top of mind, to build a brand and to potentially entice some users that have already initiated the journey of conversion uh, by either searching for your brand or for things that relate to what you do and drive them down the funnel a little bit more. Now, what I struggle though with YouTube is with the types of strategies that you uh, were able to run, right? You had efficient reach, which was nice, it was good, but it lacked the repetition, right? You couldn't really necessarily target the repetition that sometimes you need in order to really have an impact on the viewer, right? What's the point if somebody sees you once a month? Like, that's just not going to do anything. Um, so that's not great. And then, obviously, you have the automated campaigns, right? The conversions campaign. But what we saw with those campaigns is that the conversions are crap, they're, they're spam, they're... Without exception, every single one of them is not a legitimate conversion that you can say, okay, this is worth something, right? So it doesn't necessarily help much to run it that way. Now, recently, Google announced that they will allow a new strategy uh, that is targeting frequency. And this was a strategy that was already enabled before in Marketing 360, which is kind of like the enterprise level platform for running Google Ads. But now they're making it available to all advertisers across um, YouTube ads. And this is nice, Grace. This I really, really, I really like because you're not necessarily trying to get repetition through putting the conversion strategy. You're just targeting the repetition. And um, what is being recommended is not more than four times a week. And I think that's actually very, very reasonable. Like I, I think maybe two or three times is also uh, very reasonable. Um, and I think this could actually make the strategy more efficient, more, more powerful from the standpoint of us to really stay uh, top of mind, especially if the other elements of segmentations that you're using are kind of like already kind of helping you narrow down your audience into a particular segment that has some level of intent in it. What do you think about a strategy like this? I mean, like you said, I love YouTube. So I think that, you know, anything that's going to help, particularly with the uh, too many ads too often and things of that nature is a good thing. Um, but like you said, I, I you know, I, I've always struggled as well with the YouTube uh, 
the efficiency of YouTube, but it is great for brand awareness and, you know, showing people your story and having some visual elements to, you know, instead of a static page or a static ad or static text, you know? So I think that it's a, it's a good thing. I just, I'm a little hesitant to say that it's a hundred percent good or even, you know, partially bad because until we see really what, how good it is for each of us individually and how good or if it's going to work once we um, implement a little bit of the uh, frequency goals that they have are showing that we can do um i won't know right i mean the proof is always in the pudding in my opinion um as yeah. to you know you do the spend you you use their new platform settings and uh see how it goes um i would say you know test it first of course in my opinion yeah i don't know what you think <clears throat> Yeah, absolutely. And I also like a lot here that they're uh, sharing a report, uh, Google commissioned a study to find uh, how repetition helps TV advertisers and how also it actually affected them, right? And you can see here, after you've, uh, you've reached X number of impressions per week, you're actually starting to have negative impact on the results that you're getting from your campaign, right? So yeah. uh, what they say here, um, almost half of the linear TV impressions in our study were considered waste, but the, same, but the same study from Nielsen shows that brands can increase their average weekly, weekly frequency uh, from one to three on YouTube with consistent return on investment, right? So once you've gone above six, it's really when you start damaging yourself, but as long as you are right around there, two, three, um, not not above uh, four, you're actually kind of like having that sweet spot where you're still uh, influencing the, the the viewers in a positive way. So yeah, I find that very interesting, and I think this is going to be something uh, really interesting to try, and that we are already implementing in the strategies in YouTube that we are running. Now, Grace, let's move on to uh, another topic which obviously, you know, I think it's very interesting because we've kind of like, particularly here in the legal industry and in the United States, forever we've been obsessed with the idea of how much links matter when it comes down to an SEO strategy. So much to the point that a lot of uh, agencies, a lot of marketeers, they really spend most of their time trying to crack down the link building strategy of their clients above any other thing, right? And what I, well, I mean, what I like here is that recently uh, John Mueller from Google was basically an expert on this whole SEO and Google algorithms topics was telling us here that, you know what, like, Obviously, in the whole process that Google has been becoming smarter, we are also becoming smarter in the way that we are able to understand with, with, with more accuracy when content actually stands out disregarding the number of links that it gets, right? So he's not dismissing links as a whole. He's not saying that links stop being of value. What, what he's saying, though, is that the importance that they'll play as a ranking factor is going to continue to decrease over time because Google is going to be relying every time less in understanding quality and importance and value of a particular piece of content 
based solely on the links that it's generating. So I think, you know, the message here that he's sending is very, very clear, but he's also explaining why. So quality uh, of content above any other thing. I mean, you and I have been talking about quality over quantity for since we started the podcast. So hopefully people are really paying attention now because, you know, links are great. But if you start spamming, the you know, your content with full of links and we all know that that's never a good idea. It's about the quality of the content. Content is king, queen, whatever you want to call it. And it has been and always will be because if people are driven to read it, to stay on it, to watch it, to look at it, whatever it might be, whatever your content medium is, that's what's going to drive up rankings. They've said it over and over and over again in Google, in releases, in algorithm releases, and all kinds of things. If your content is great content and people want to read it, it will sustain itself. You don't have to gamify the system, meaning you don't have to fill it with links and fill it with keywords and fill it with anything. If the content is good and people want to read it, they're going to read it. Yeah, exactly. And the idea here, the idea here is that obviously Google believes if the content is good, the links will follow no matter what, right? Um, but I guess what they're saying as well is also, you know, in some scenarios, in some circumstances, in some instances where, you know, it's just, it's just, you know, it, it, it's not the type of page that is, uh, destined to have links, you know, just by the nature of the topic or whatever that is, if the content is still good, you may still stand a chance. So again, I mean, I, I, I think this is important just to understand that it is still very likely that considering all of the ranking factors, links probably are still somewhere in the top three, but we know as a fact uh, that it's not number one, right? So that's, I think, what's the, the takeaway in here and what potentially is going to be happening moving forward is that they're just going to lose maybe uh, value over time. So, Grace, those are the marketing and tech news to share here you know, we just cannot have enough uh, news and updates on Masters because, you know, we barely get enough time to cover everything that is happening and developing, right? And like, I know you've already came here with some ideas and things to talk about. And I've already, I started asking you questions about some other things and you said, oh yeah, how could I forget that? Uh, there's also updates in there. So great, give us just a rundown. What's been happening on the Masters world and what are some things that are worth keeping in mind, paying attention to? So I say, you know, three main updates. And like you said, we were kind of, you know, bantering back and forth. You're like, but what about this Mastor? And I was like, oh, that's right. There is an update on that. <laughs> that's right. So the three main Mastors I'd say, um, you know, I will we'll quickly kind of discuss is our CPAP roundup. And I've already forgotten the third one, but I'm sure you'll remind me. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I'm just going to put a wild guess out there. Is it Camp Lejeune? Oh, you know what? A hundred percent. Thank you for that one. <laughs> yes, there are some more updates on Camp Lejeune too. Uh, I suppose if you tap me, there's some more information will just pop out of my head anyway. So that's good. Um, let's start with CPAP because I think that that's um, probably one of the freshest changes that have happened. Um, CPAP has moved from a tolling agreement to census registry forms. What that means is if you filed a case against a tolling agreement, you basically were trying to hold on to that case until you gathered whatever other information you needed. You can always file it, obviously. Again, guys, I'm not an attorney, but this is just the basic concepts of this stuff. Um, 
it's past that tolling agreement. Now there's an actual form that you can use to file and not can, you have to, right? So when you when it switches from tolling agreement to census registry, then there's kind of a, a, a deadline at that point for you to grab those cases that you originally filed against that tolling agreement and get that form filled out. Um, the form, generally speaking, they're they're very similar to each other in the sense that they want to list out the injuries, the, you know, basically the medical history of a person and everything that happened with them as it pertains to that case type. So um, I think Zantac, yeah, Zantac had a census registry as well. So uh, for those of you that dealt with Zantac, you should be fa fairly familiar with the census registry and that concept. Um, if you're not, you know, obviously reach out to me or, or Liel and we'll be glad to help you a little bit with that. Yeah. Um, but that's CPAP. Um, that's the yeah. update. It's you know, as I said, update. Grace, uh, when when I when I was on MTMP, I do remember like uh, uh, Mike Papantonio in the one presentation that he gave that I was there. He did mention CPAP, and he said that he feels that it's looking good. Um, you know, probably a lot because of the same technical things that you've just mentioned out. But he was also talking about you know the judge and and you know all of the other. Uh, influencing factors into it. So um, yeah, that was one of the uh, masters that kind of like answering to the question, what's hot right now? What we should consider, you know, moving money into? That was one that came up. Yeah, and you're right, because honestly, I think they were a little hesitant at first with CPAP because of the uh, link, you know, the causal link between using the device and um, being able to prove it, right? I think that they're still looking to towards science days like they usually have. Um, so this one's following a very interesting path. Um, it's The path it's following is very similar to the other litigations um, as opposed to like what's happening with talc or 3M, you know, with the bankruptcies and all of that. Um, so CPAP is next new what's hot. And, um, but obviously just like any other mass tort, ladies and gentlemen, you know, and, and everyone in between, you need to know what you're getting into because it is and can still fall through, right? I mean, there haven't been settlements when it comes to that necessarily. You know, they're still looking at the fact that asthma is one of the, uh, exacerbated asthma is one of the injuries. Um, they are not sure if lung cancer is going to be accepted long-term or that's one of the cancers that's going to get dropped or if cancer is going to be dropped completely. So there's a lot of stuff still going on with CPAP. And, um, you know, it's still fairly new in that respect. So just keep an eye on it. You know, if you can get organic cases, of course, I always suggest, you know, do your best to try and do that and then partner up with a referral firm that knows what they're doing when it comes to a mass tort. Excellent, Grace. What else do we have there? So uh, I know that I talked about Roundup a couple times, yeah. um, but I think it's important to note to people that they are, they're bringing it back up. Right. They're, yeah, I cannot it, believe it keeps on coming back. I mean, I, I I get it. I'm not dismissing here the fact that people's, you know, you cannot just make cases and 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 um, the issues that run up costs disappear. I'm not I'm not saying it from that standpoint, but I just thought that this was kind of like done and dealt with. And I believe that a lot of people did as well. Um, COVID, you know, did uh, affect a lot of things, and honestly, Roundup was actually one of them. Um, because of the way they were heading towards the direction of Roundup, everyone on the uh, plaintiff side believed that this was it was going to be a done deal, right? That they were just going to settle. They were they had the funds to do so, and they were going to settle um, based on a matrix like they normally do of injury to exposure and length yeah. of time, right? So everyone thought that that was just going to continue, and it stopped right before 
like right at COVID. And so for the last two years, there's not been a lot of movement. Um, there's been some movement, but certain things have expired. Um, things that have been created were also expiring. So they have basically moved a lot of this stuff to a more preferential location, and that's California. So now the forms that you might see are generally from California. It's the California MDL, and they're filing it there because of the things I spoke about on the last podcast. I won't go into detail on that because it's very uh, technical, <laughs> you know, about the JPML and certain things like that. So um, right now, if you have Roundup cases, partner with somebody that knows what they're doing because they're really, really looking at the injuries on this and while it's non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, they're specifically trying to look for the subtype of the non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And specifically on the subtypes, it's diffuse large B cell lymphoma, mm -hmm. which, I mean, none of us are doctors here unless you are a doctor and a lawyer, which great, that'd be fantastic for something like this. But if you're not, you don't necessarily know that that's what you're looking for. So that's why I keep saying you really need to partner with somebody who's dealt with some of this litigation, um, somebody that know, understands what they're looking for when you bring a case to trial or bring a case for settlement um, because they really are looking deep, deep down um, on NHL and, I mean, down to the subtypes for Roundup right now. So you need to make sure you understand exactly how long your client was exposed, how often they used it. I mean, you really need to dig into the details with your client to make sure that you're best serving them, but also obviously filing a case that makes sense that will go to settlement or trial or, you know, at least you hope it will. Obviously, you don't know for a fact, but up to a point, you you'd kind of know for a fact that it will because you have all your ducks in a row, right? Yeah, mind-blowing, the fact that how things continue to to evolve. Um, and even though those things that have been consistent throughout, right, continue to be relevant. So, Grace, moving on to the last update on the master, and obviously, you know, uh, I'm sure there could be many more, but we're going to give and make some room to Camp Lejeune because it doesn't stop drawing tremendous amounts of interest. And so what's happening there? And, you know, just the things that we kind of talked about when before the bill even passed, that's what's happened. Um, unfortunately, I know everybody's seen these ads on TV, online, everywhere you go, you can't get away from a Camp Lejeune ad. And that, of course, has affected significantly the cost per case. And that will affect the fees that, you know, attorneys receive, as well as the compensation for the clients. Um, as a matter of fact, just yesterday, I saw a an advertisement that was just strictly a marketing company. And you can tell that it's a strictly a marketing company because in the background and the disclaimer says it's a marketing company. Yeah. So continue to drive up the prices, continue to drive up the cost per case. And unfortunately, the ones that ultimately suffer are really the clients in this respect. So I'm still a little concerned. Um, and so the updates that I have for Camp Lejeune are more on the marketing side. I mean, there is an administrative form that's been updated not too recently. It was a, maybe a couple months ago. Um, shortly after the bill passed, they had an initial Form 95 administrative form that had to get filled out. That got updated maybe a couple months after or maybe a month after the bill passed. Um, so that's the form that you need to file this. And for those of you who don't necessarily know, this isn't a typical mass tort in the sense that the statute of limitations doesn't start to run from the date of injury because, right, some of these injuries are 40 plus years old. Um, it starts from the date that the bill passed. So 
you have up to two years from the date the bill passed to file a case. And if you file a case and there needs to be an amendment, you have within those two years to file that amendment. So the SOLs run a little differently. And I think that's just an important thing for people to understand and know, um, particularly those who are not attorneys and understanding that from the date that bill passed, there's a ticking time clock on those cases. And so you need to make sure that, you know, you best serve your clients and you take care of them by making sure that you're getting all the documents, all the information you need and filing that with that form as soon as you possibly can with all the information that's necessary to be on there. Yeah. Thanks for the reminders and the and the insights there, both on the marketing side of things, which as we've we've mentioned and talked about thoroughly, it's um, it's certainly becoming record breaking in a very short period of time, right? At this point, is already getting compared to masters that have been running for years, and uh, in terms of uh, ad spend accumulated and such, so uh, very very meaningful. All right, Grace, before we move on to takeaways, do you have any other wild card with regards to Mastercard? Something that we may have just fall from our view, but it's there and we should keep our eyes or attention somewhat focused into that? Uh, Tylenol. I mean, that one's what? fairly... Yeah. yeah, Tylenol. I remember this one, yeah. Super new. Um, yeah. ADHD and autism. There's a lot of information kind of being bandied about right now. Um, there's a little concern about the preemption on it. Um, we can explore that a little bit more because there's a lot of information to provide on Tylenol and autism. And it's still so new that there's going to be tons of information kind of coming in as we continue to talk about it. Well, Grace, you make sure to keep us posted on that one. But yeah, that's true. That's one of those. And, you know, I mean, just 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 thinking about it, like like masters that have come in, I'm not going to say gone, but they're just kind of like gone in, in hibernation mode, uh, kind of like the uh, the sunscreen one, right? Like the sun's, what happened with that? Anyhow, Grace, hopefully we're going to get some updates at some point on those. But for now, let's do some good takeaways on the things that we've just talked. And I'd love to hear what would be your takeaway number one. So I think takeaway number one for me is, and I'm going to kind of go backwards a little bit from the Google back to the other one, um, uh -huh. linking, right? Uh, a reminder that content is king and don't focus too much on making sure that you have your links inside of the content and writing good content and b being there where your client wants you to be and not being there where you want to be and speaking the way you want to speak. So just make sure that and understand that links are going to become less and less important in the overall scheme of things doesn't mean that they're not just that they will become less and less important as long as your content is solid yeah i think we need to kind of like re-establish to ourselves really what's you know how to properly acquire links for for websites right obviously the goal here is to create really valuable insightful information that you can then draw attention to and and hopefully get the, the goodwill of uh, important outlets to want to share or use that data. Really, I mean, that's, that's, that's the way this should work. And so um, what is the reality of that? Is that obviously to create high quality content particularly one that, uh, you know, uh, a, a, a source like the New York Times or USA Today or a local news outlet is going to want to link to, well, it has to, it has to be uh, well-researched, well-documented, 
uh, it has to really prove or provide some valuable insights. So uh, to create this level and quality of content, you need to invest. I mean, this is not this is not copywriting. This is this is actually a combination between uh, 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 research work and PR. So um, just you know, uh, everything is possible, but just you have to start si switch, uh, shifting your mindset to want to adopt that type of strategy and invest accordingly, because I mean, that's not gonna be cheap. Uh, but, it, but the results can be can be tremendous, right? The results can be tremendous. And not every single time you're going to get it as well, right? Not every single time you're going to put out there uh, uh, a new report or some data uh, that you've gathered to research. Not every single time you're going to get the, the links that you're hoping for. But every once in a while you will. And then that's really what could, could potentially um be game changing. All right. Uh, so I guess just like looking into the future, if you're going to be doing link uh, strategy, well, maybe that's the best way to go about it. But just reminding yourself at the end of the day, if you are providing good, valuable content to the people that you're addressing, to the people that you're targeting this content to, then um, Google is telling you, I mean, we'll, we'll see that. We'll, we'll be able to recognize that links or not links. All right, Grace, that was number one. I like that one. I, I will go back to the first one, which is, you know, the, the earning calls from the tech companies and kind of like this whole uh, mindset that we were heading into our recession. And a few weeks ago, I saw from uh, in LinkedIn a post from Ken Hardison that was very, very short. Uh, Ken Hardison from PLMA and obviously also um, how they call him the millionaire maker, right? Um, so um, one thing that I really, really, really liked, it was a simple post and he was just saying, remember, personal injury law firms do well in recessions. And it's kind of like that understanding that sometimes it's very easy to fall into the bandwagon of, oh my God, everything is collapsing, everything's going to be bad. Kind of like that same thing that happened during the first uh, few weeks of COVID, right? People feeling very devastated, out of control of what's going to happen and their destiny and such. To then realize that it actually turned out to be a tremendous opportunity where a lot of law firms across many different practice areas were able to grow even in an exponential way that they've never been able to do before. So um, am I saying that a, a, a potential recession will have the same impact? We don't know, and that's the whole point, right? You can make of this whatever you want to make out of this. You can definitely kind of like set yourself for total failure by thinking that things are gonna be terrible, or you can find the opportunities within. And, um, you know, when you hear someone obviously like in Hardison with the experience that he has, with the number of recessions that he's gone through with many different law firms, you know, there is something to be learned there right and, and and some some you know some new perspective to gain so uh, that's my takeaway right don't don't predispose yourself to things that may not necessarily be your destiny that's right it's called the self-fulfilling prophecy in psychology so don't do it yeah you know what i mean yeah. you create the reality that you live in i completely agree with you and you can niche yeah. up or niche down or niche or do whatever it is that you think you need to do but hundred percent. I mean, I've seen plenty of PI firms succeed and then some during COVID and others that, you know, couldn't adapt and um, be agile enough to handle what happens yeah. and, you know, went uh, defunct. So how, how many, yeah. How many big law firms nowadays, now, today's uh, law firms have actually like became a law firm 
after uh, the 2008-2009 uh, recession, right? I mean, that was kind of like the triggering point that made them become what they are today. So I think it's very important to to to, to keep that perspective in mind. Completely um, agree. So Grace, last takeaway, and it's always going to be yours. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna make it YouTube. You know, because I think it's important for people to understand what we were explaining and what you gave them in terms of information on YouTube and the changes, right? Um, YouTube is mainly for brand awareness. It really is. And it's it. the reason I'm, I'm emphasizing that is because of what Liel said near the beginning, which is, you know, there's not going to be people... Not that there won't be 100%, okay, because there's always the, the people that will click on an ad while they're watching something. There's always people like that. But the trend is that people will not just click on an ad, especially if they're in the middle of trying to watch something or learn something. And that's what YouTube is about, right? They go on there because they want to learn something, see something, see a video about something, laugh about something. Whatever their purpose is, they're going on there to watch that, not your ad. So it's important that you understand the goal for using YouTube first and foremost, and then understand that frequency can hurt you, but it can also help. So you need to balance that and use their new tool to help you create that balance and try it out. You know, I mean, yeah. I, I always suggest that always try it out. And I know Liel does too, you know, I mean, test things out because you don't know. I mean, Nobody's perfect on anything, and so the more tests that you can do, that makes sense, of course. You don't just spend money and throw it out the window for no reason, but yeah. the more you can test things, the better off you are in general. Yeah, and different platforms, different frequency, right? Yes. Uh, there's not a set rule. Radio may be very different than what you do on TV or what you do in social, so that's also important. There's, it's, it's not really fair to try to apply. And then obviously there's going to be other, other aspects that come to, to play. When we're looking at a, at a uh, study conducted by, um, by YouTube, uh, we're, you know, we're primarily going to be looking at, at retail. Um, and for law firms, it's going to be a little bit different. But what is a little bit uh, well known nowadays is that uh, it's important to have visibility, just don't, don't want to bombard your target audience with your brand in a way that you're kind of like start antagonizing them. So, which is a very common thing for law firms to do, right? It is good to be known, but you don't want to become hated because of how known you are. And, 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 you know, that's kind of like the balance, I believe, Grace, that you were talking about. And, and just to add on what you're saying about YouTube is then also understanding, right, when is YouTube likely to see a surge in, 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 in viewers? And I, I, I honestly believe that the World Cup, especially for those, well, obviously for us is extremely important because uh, we know that the World Cup is extremely popular amongst uh, Latino demographics. And we anticipate that a lot of them are going to actually be following the World Cup through YouTube. And that is going to be a very, very valuable way, a place to be present while the tournament is being played. So keep those things in mind. Adjust your budgets accordingly. Make sure that you're giving it a try, uh, like um, at frequency strategies and, and see what results you get. Ladies and gentlemen, please make sure you paid attention to what he said about the World Cup. Because that is a <laughs> massive, massive opportunity for those of you who don't understand the Hispanic market and you are trying to get into the Hispanic market. That is the probably one of the biggest opportunities to be in front of that market and make them aware of your brand. It really is. 
That's yeah. a little tip for everybody on here that doesn't, you know, follow Hispanic marketing or doesn't understand it 100%. That's a great piece of advice there, Grace. So thank you so much for not just that, but all of the other insights and tips that you've shared. And we'll be back again in a couple of weeks with more uh, things to talk about. More fun later. Thank you, Leo. All right, Grace. Take care. Bye. If you like our show, make sure you subscribe, tell your co-workers, leave us a review, and send us your questions at ask at incamerapodcast.com. We'll see you next week.